Welcome to Boiling Point, the podcast to motivate ever-evolving entrepreneurs and forward-thinking movement pioneers. Our hosts, filmmaker Greg Hemmings and executive coach Dave Vale, are turning up the heat in the world's business communities. Our interviews with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers are raising the temperature of inspiration. Live from the hottest studio in this quadrant of the universe, here are Dave and Greg. Okay, Dave, we're back in the boiling point. I've got Craig Norris on the phone. Craig is an old friend of mine. He's also a filmmaker, uh, a photographer, uh, an all-around awesome guy, adventurer, uh, real high social impact value type of, uh, type of individual. Uh, and uh, I thought he'd be completely appropriate for the boiling point um, because of a lot of different reasons, actually, but specifically because he just spent, I, I believe, up to three months in... Uh, in Tanzania, filming an incredible documentary, mm. and this might be his first opportunity to talk a little bit about that, but uh, my interest is, what can we learn in all the projects that we do? What can we learn from a way to make our community a better place? And I think Craig's got some really good perspective on that. So, uh, Dave, meet Craig. Craig, meet Dave. Nice to meet you, Craig. Yeah, nice to meet you, too. Well, listen, Craig, why don't you give us a, a quick introduction about who you are? Love to hear about uh, uh, about all of your businesses, because you're not just a filmmaker. Um, and yeah, why don't you just give Dave and our audience a, a little bit of background about who you are? Yeah, so <clears throat> I guess uh, I own two businesses now. Uh, Video Band is my production company. And my wife and I also own Earthlings, which is an environmentally friendly daycare. Um, hmm. And we started those. I got my start, like I have a business degree in a marketing and economics background. Um, and I kind of started off working in big business uh, and kind of came to hate it quite quite quickly. Didn't like the ethics of the business, didn't like the lifestyle of, of big business and uh, decided that I'd, I'd be happier working in, uh, in film and photography. So I kind of went down that road. And my wife has really always been very passionate about childcare. Um, but working for other people in the industry, it's uh, it's really hard to make a living, and it's really hard to make the changes in the daycare that you want to see. So I use my business kind of background to help her open up, uh, open up the daycare. So that's and what that's a cool what keeps name us busy. Earthlinks. Yeah, it's, 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 no, yeah, it was perfect. <laughs> and and I know we're going, we're diverging a bit here, but but I mean, I always think of the irony of you know how hard it is for someone to make money yeah. a decent living taking care of our most precious kind of uh, you know thing in the world which is our kids i just it just seems crazy yeah and think and you know, i think craig why don't you speak on that because your daycare uh, you're in Roxy's daycare is quite special in the fact that it is environmentally sustainable it's uh, uh, you pay your uh, let me get you to <laughs> tell the story why why is earthlings uh, uh, you know uh, punching above its weight yeah, I guess uh, it's it has a lot to do with structure and design of the daycare. Uh, it, it certainly is true that people in this industry aren't paid uh, what they ought to be paid. Um, so when I looked at the problem, I saw kind of a business problem. And I think what daycares are doing is they get too big and then their overhead gets too high. So a really simple decision we made was to make our daycare home-based. Um, and actually, my, my production company, I have a home office, so we're able to use one building to, you know, to live in and to operate our two businesses. And with the overhead that we saved by doing that, we were able to plow that back into better benefits for our employees 
and it was it would allow us to invest in things that uh, kind of are tied to sustainability. So like our our lunch program with the kids is all organic and local, and our field trips are all kind of themed around going to. Um, like say organic farms or going to Funny National Park and learning more about about the environment. So basically, we were able to be successful by being small um, and just not pursuing a traditional business model. Where, where are you guys based, Craig? Uh, we're based in the north end of Moncton. Okay, so Moncton. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> by being home based, we actually do end up working with forty five families. Uh, but our structure is a little bit different. So instead of having a full-time preschool program and a full-time after-school program, we have a full-time after-school program. And that means that in the morning, our spaces are available. So on uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, we have a preschool class for three- and four-year-olds. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we have a preschool class for two- and three-year-olds. So basically, we only have a license for 15, but that means you can have 15 in the building at one time. And it, it allows us to work with 45 families. So for each space, we might be able to generate 45 or $50 a space instead of just $20 a space. Oh, that's really, <laughs> that, that is the core of being an entrepreneur, isn't it? Is finding, finding the, uh, the brilliance in a challenge. And, uh, o- overhead, I think really did it. Yeah. overhead will really kill you. That's definitely what I've learned over the last five or six years of running these businesses. You, you have to really control overhead. Okay, so let's let's do a, a little bit of a bridge. Um, and uh, an, another part of Craig's life, coming from the the marketing background is uh, and the artistic background, is he's a, a fantastic photographer. And we would uh, uh, bump into each other often at different music festivals. Uh, you know, I'd be filming and he'd be uh, uh, shooting photos. And then, as a photographer, you actually uh, uh, are, are naturally a cinematographer. It's not a very large uh, large step. So Craig ended up. Uh, jumping into the, into the film world and is doing excellent work uh, there, and uh, it's led him recently to do some really neat work with uh, this group called uh, Community Forest International out of Sackville. And Craig, why don't you give us a quick little background on that opportunity and what what actually sent you to Africa for the last ninety days? Uh, yeah, so Community Forest International they're based in Sackville, and. Uh, my last project, I did a series of nature documentaries uh, for the Fundy Biosphere Reserve, and it was funded by Mountain Equipment Co-op, and they had seen that work and they liked it, and they contacted me and asked me if I'd like to go to Pemba to basically, there was two parts to the project. One was to create a series of uh, instructional videos that would basically teach people how to improve agriculture methods on the island. And then uh, the second part was to make a documentary um, uh, basically about the the Pemben story and kind of their pursuit of sustainability. Um, so so they just kind of became aware of my work from a from another project. And, and w- if you can explain where Pemba is uh, and also what the, you know what the project was, what what, what was the, the the purpose of uh, of you going over there to to make a film? Yeah, so Pemba is uh, off the coast of Tanzania. It's part of the Zanzibar island chain. So there's two, like Nguja would be the big island that most people uh, call Zanzibar. And then Pemba is a a slightly smaller island. And the type of work, um, basically Mbarok, who's the executive director of Community Forest Pemba, he has probably quarterback six or seven major projects. And I guess the highlights would be uh, Pemba was a place that had become really deforested. 
And when your island becomes deforested, you start to have a lot of other problems. Like you start to run into fresh water problems. You start to run into agriculture problems because the soils can't retain uh, moisture anymore. And it, it leads to just a, a, a lot of, a lot of problems for an island. So when Baroque started uh, with working with Jeff, who is from New Brunswick, on uh, tree planting campaigns. So they started by uh, opening nurseries, tree nurseries, and then growing local species and then planting them uh, all over the island. So, uh, you know, over the last six or seven years, they've planted well over a million trees on Pemba and the islands that surround Pemba. And then that work kind of grew into... Uh, agroforestry and uh, uh, kitchen garden projects. So for those who aren't uh, familiar with agroforestry, it's basically the opposite of uh, monoculture farming. So instead of growing like a big block of corn, with agroforestry, you would grow plants like corn with other plants like, say, cowpeas. And corn would be a, a nitrogen-hungry plant, and cowpeas are a nitrogen fixer. So by planting them together, you wind up with a more sustainable plot. And then around and sometimes in the midst of those plants, they would also plant trees. So the trees would help shade the area, help the soils kind of uh, retain moisture. And basically what you wind up with is a garden that doesn't really look like a garden anymore. It looks more like a, more like a forest. So, so a lot of forestry, agroforest projects, they've also been doing workshops on teaching people how to use, how to build energy efficient clay stoves. Um, they have solar power projects where, you know, some of the islands didn't have electricity. So they installed uh, solar power grids, which are really cool because they're wireless. So they would set up a bunch of solar panels and then distribute motorcycle batteries to every house in the village. And then they would give them some wiring and some led lights. And, you know, you just take your, motorcycle battery to the school to charge it and then when you bring it back you'd have light in your house for a week you know and, and these are like the simple things that really help improve people's lives there so they've got they've got dozens of projects like this on the go so, so I, I and I, I know dave you probably have a million questions i one of the things i want to kind of explore a little bit too is dave and i have the luxury of interviewing people all the time uh and I think as a as an executive coach and as a filmmaker, it's one of the the biggest blessings we have in what we do is we get to learn so many different things uh, with the different people we speak to or the different documentaries uh, that we do. And Craig, you're right in that uh, with us. Is is this a little bit of your motivation as well as continued life education is doing documentaries about stories like this? Uh, yeah, for sure. I, I'm definitely like I feel like personally I'm a teacher and a student. Um, you know, I'm always interested in, in learning new things, and uh, when I learn them, I'm, I'm really interested in passing them on. I, ha I actually have been teaching for five or six years now. Um, but for me, uh, with business and just basically whatever we do in our, in our work life, I think is so critical because we, we spend so much of our life working that for me, I just really want to make sure that, you know, whatever I was doing for an occupation, that it was making a positive contribution and that I was, you know, making the world, uh, trying to make the world a better place and making sure that I wasn't involved with things that kind of contributed to the world's problems. So that, that's my motivation for documentary films. So when you go over to, and you, like, you literally immersed yourself, and I think Greg said for 90 days, is that, is that right? Were you there for three months? Uh, I was there for two months. So it was, the trip was about 65 days, like, okay. with travel. Yeah, so, so, it's a, so you immersed yourself. What were the big learnings 
for you? I mean, there are some, I mean, it sounds like you were exposed to a, a myriad of very cool um, concepts, ideas, uh, stuff in action, you know, this whole idea of sustainable communities, all this kind of stuff. What, what, what did, what was the big takeaway for you, Craig? It's, uh, oh, it, it's difficult because it just seemed like there was epiphanies almost daily, uh, being submerged in a culture that is so different, uh, from our own, you know, you just have all these realizations every day. I think some of the ones that stick out, um, really strongly are the stereotypes that we often attach to a place like Africa. Uh, you know, Africa is seen as a place that's hopeless. It's often seen as a, a place that's dangerous and it's a place that's always pointed to as having corruption problems. Mm-hmm. And when I got to Pemba, you know, I, I didn't feel like they were in a hopeless situation at all. Um, in fact, the, what I found was that the people from community forest international and myself, like the best thing that we could do was go there and and just watch and listen because the locals they were the experts and they had 99.9% of the of the resources they they needed really like they're they're hard workers all they needed was a little bit of inf- information and you know small investments in materials so there's there's tons of hope in Africa um corruption is a problem but it's I don't think it's on the on the level that people assume it to be like Honestly, with the corruption problems I saw in Pemba, it made me kind of think about corruption problems here at home. I was just going to say, it's, a, it's, a, uni- they're similar. it's a universal phenomenon, corruption. I don't think any continent has, has that wrapped up by any means. Yeah, and I think Africa gets a bad rap that way. You know, they're seen as being disproportionately corrupt, and there's no question that places, countries within Africa have some pretty severe uh, corruption issues, but that's the problem, is that the whole continent gets painted with the same brush and then you go to a place like Pemba and you just see that it's that's just all bullshit like it's not true at all and it's it's also interesting on that topic <clears throat> to think about how much um, good intentions uh, are behind so much international aid and throwing money at problems but all those good intentions and all those programs uh, that we've supported over the years really are a cause to a lot of this corruption issue in the first place. So it's like the Westerners are, uh, you know, painting this picture of corruption, but really it was this Western aid and support that was mismanaged in a lot of cases that has led to this, this, uh, this uh, misuse of money and power, which is really interesting too, um, as well as a filmmaker, the responsibility you have, Craig, uh, as a documentary filmmaker, to come back and tell an honest, truthful story, uh, but to also be able to change people's perspective on something truthfully, um, it's a, it, it's an incredible challenge in a good way. You know, uh, what's your thoughts on that? I'm mean, like the responsibility on you not to not to paint the wrong picture when you come home and share this con- this information. Yeah, it's definitely something I thought a lot about before I went, and I thought about a lot about when I was there, and it definitely did guide the decisions I made in like the way that the story was told. Um, I guess like a really good example of that is in some of these places, like say a place like Kokota, two or three years ago, like they didn't have a school, they don't have fresh water, they didn't have any electricity. And it would have been really easy to go in there with kind of like the old school Sally Struthers world vision approach and just kind of paint it as a desperate situation that everybody should be giving, you know, donations that the hope was all going to be in in North America. But instead of doing 
that we kind of focused on the positives in the community and focused on the strengths of, of those communities and focused on telling the stories of basically their success. Um, so in, in my film, um, you know, the, there's, there are points where people are crying, but the only, the only tears in the whole film are tears of joy. And it's when people are talking about the improvements they have made to their, their own lives. So, you know, you do, you do things like that consciously, I think, in a film like this. Otherwise, you know, you do go down, you can easily go down the road of, of uh, you know, World Vision and Sally Struthers and Coney 2012 and volunteerism, like all those things that have created problems uh, for Africa. And I think things that have ultimately kind of created apathy here at home, because now people here at home I think there's still a desire to want to help Africa, but we are so confused as to how to do it. Like we're nervous about giving money to a charity because we hear about corruption in charities. And, you know, we're nervous about volunteerism because we hear about, you know, just terrible stories about volunteerism that takes jobs away from locals and those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but, but Africa still needs our help. We just need to be a little bit more calculated about the way that we do it, you know? Well, and and what I'm hearing is that whole philosophy and actually it ties in. So I, as Greg alluded to earlier, I'm a coach and the concept in coaching is, is you believe that your clients or the people you work with are naturally creative and resourceful. And as I'm listening to you describe the people that you were, you know, when you were documenting this, you know, it's this understanding that they they have 99% of it, right? Let's focus on the strengths and let's focus on their natural creativity and resourcefulness. And and then, so how do how does how does an organization, you know, um, as you were documenting this, how does it how do you, how do you find the places to to actually, you know, support and not, you know, become paternal? And, uh, you know, and really like, tell us a little bit about how you strike that line or or how, what you observed in terms of striking that line. I think it's, uh, it's basically all about kind of turning your ego off and just trying to become a really good listener and, you know, and, and try to ask, uh, good, but simple questions. You know, like what I found when I was there, these people were very eager to tell their story. And so long as as when you, you get to that country, you can kind of check your stereotypes at the door and try to come in as blank slate as possible, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then just listen to what people are saying. It, it sounds like oversimplified, but I, I really do think it is, no, it but, is that simple. And, but it's simple, but, you know, and then I guess the, the follow-up question to that be is, is it's simple. It's simple in theory, but it's kind of hard to do, isn't it? Yeah, um, and, and it is hard, and I can give you an example of why it's hard. Yeah. This didn't happen to me, but this happened to Jeff Schnurr, who's the uh, the executive director of Community Forest International. And, and CFI, by the way, they seem to be an organization that is getting it right in Africa when there's been a long, long history of getting it wrong. And this uh, Jeff had told me when he first started working there, like he was a tree planter, right? So they wanted to plant trees and, you know, he helped them get some nurseries set up and he, and he went home and six months later and Barra called him and he said, Jeff, you got to come back. And Jeff was like, you know, what are you talking about? Like, I, you know, I can't come back. And he said, well, we've planted a hundred thousand seedlings and now we need to get them into the ground. So Jeff was like, you know, oh my God, I got to get back and help these guys do this. So he went to the tree planting company that he had worked for and he said, you know, I need some tools. I need some shovels. I need some bags. I'm going to go back to Africa and help these guys plant their trees. And he got the shovels and the bags and he went back. And when he got there, he had, you know, 
a few shovels and a few bags. I don't know how many it was. Say it was 10 or 20 or 30. And they distributed them. Um, and they worked really well for the first few days. But then they started to notice that people in the communities weren't planting trees anymore. And the reason they weren't planting trees was because they didn't have enough tools. Like they didn't have enough shovels and they didn't have enough bags. And Embark went to Jeff and he's like, you know, this technology, these shovels and bags that you have brought, they're amazing. They're great, but we got to get rid of them. And and Jeff was like, okay, like, okay. And Embark kind of said, like, we don't need a shovel. We need a hole. And we don't need, we don't need, um, we don't need bags to carry the trees. We just need a way to transport them. And what they discovered was just a very fundamental difference in culture was that pendants are very communal. And when they plant trees, they want to do it in massive groups. There could be 50 or 60 people and one person will dig the hole and they don't need a shovel. They could use a stick or they could use a djembe, like a a hole from gardening. Then the next person would put the tree down and then the person behind him would come back and tap it down. And then the person behind him would water it. Whereas if you look at the Canadian system, like Jeff said, like his system was a bag and a shovel, two hectares and thousands of trees, and he would just go at it as fast as he could all by himself, right? So you can kind of see how you can easily go into a culture and have the best intentions, but just not really understand how fundamentally different a place is from your home. Well, and just being ethnocentric, right? And yeah, and, and not understanding the cultural sensitivities. And actually, and it sounds like in this, what a great story, by the oh, way. Oh, it's incredible. And, yeah. and having, and, and this Jeff having the best of intentions. And I guess that's, that's a, thank you. That's a remarkable story because, you know, I don't think anyone, you know, most people, at least I have a belief, and I'm guessing you do, Greg, as well, and probably you do, Craig, that people want to give back. They want to be supportive. And and sometimes we over-support, we over-contribute, we, you know, and, and, and it's hard to hold back, you know? And so, so that's a really, so it, so that's an interesting theme, and I, and I guess what you were picking up in this whole, you know, this story that's going to be told is how, you know, what we're, you know, you know, making sure you're not stepping over that line and, 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 and with the spirit of wanting, intending to help. Like, there's another layer here, here too, which is really interesting. And it just popped into my head. Now we always, I've always had the, uh, the whole biblical reference of, uh, uh, don't give a man a fish, teach a man to fish, you know, that, that whole, uh, analogy. Um, it even feels like that is not accurate in this scenario either. So it's not about Jeff going to teach, how to use the tools. It's, yes, don't give the fish. Um, there's a certain level of teaching, but it's more listening to what they already have. And then maybe augmenting a little bit of wisdom that that a foreigner like us might have or might not, you know? And uh, Well, Jeff's actually, sorry to interrupt you there, Greg, but Jeff actually has a saying that goes right along those lines. And he was saying, he updated the, you know, uh, give a man a fish versus teaching a man to fish, he updated it and said, all you really have to do is tell a guy about fishing and he'll figure it out for himself. <laughs> that's right? awesome. And, that's great. And that, that's kind of the principles that guide their their development. Like, they, like say, Kokoda was a really great place where it's an island actually 20 kilometers off the coast of Pemba. And like I said before, they didn't have power, they didn't have water, they didn't have a school. And when they got money to help the community, I think some people think that that meant that a whole bunch of like carpenters went out and just built all this infrastructure for them. But that's not how it worked at all. Like that money went into the actual raw materials and it actually only got the raw materials to the port in Wete. Then the people of Kokoda 
who who their primary transport method is handmade wooden boats. They would sail back to Wete, load their boats up with the concrete and the bricks and the steel. And because they don't have any fresh water, they even had to bring all the water to mix the cement. They loaded it up one boatload at a time, took it back to their island, and then the whole community built the school, built the water tank, and installed the solar power microgrid all on their own labor with zero payment. Incredible. Because that's the value. That, that community, communal uh, philosophy and, and lifestyle uh, made that possible. Yeah, this is a place where people really, they want to improve their their lives. The collective you know? and, lives, yeah. Yeah, and really what the poverty, what I saw in Africa, the in Pemba, the poverty was not so much monetary as it was opportunity. So if you give them, like, they're just, they just have n- no opportunity in many cases. But when you give them a little opportunity, if you give them a stack of bricks and some bags of cement, they'll build a school, right? Yeah, okay. This is good. This is good. The, um, <clears throat> how we always want to bring this home, Craig, is how do we uh, bring those stories back so our community can, can actually gain from this, you know, uh, we've always looked at uh, the old way is the the whole pioneering uh, or missionary way, I should say, where we take our our tools, our concepts, our values, and we try to leave it somewhere else. But now we, we're seeing great uh, great increases in our own communities if we go away as pioneers, find out how they're doing it away, and bring that back to our own community. And of course, our our particular community is New Brunswick. Is there any even philosophies that you've uh, captured on film over there that, uh, that you could share with people in this community to, to make this a better place. I mean, I hope that that'll be the, you know, that'll be the, the takeaway for the documentary. So for me, like I believe that all the world's problems are fundamentally issues of communication. Um, you know, I think that if we usually have a lot of problems because we misunderstand one another so I, my goal was to go there and kind of document all of these ideas and bring them back home. And I think when people see the film, they'll realize that most of those solutions were generated in Africa, and they had a lot less to do about technology uh, and a lot more to do with community and working together. So for me, I, try, I hope to bring that back with the documentary. So, and Craig, how, how can people learn more about the project, about you, about the, the is it, is the documentary, is it cut? Is it, you're still probably working through that process? I, I just got home uh, two oh, weeks ago tomorrow. I had no idea. He's not that yeah. quick of an editor, Dave. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going through the editing process right now. How come you're not um, done? <laughs> yeah. So what I think, what, what I'm aiming to have my rough cut done uh, by the end of April uh, it probably won't emerge on the festival scene probably until 2016 because we'll probably wait and apply to the the big festivals, okay. uh, New York, Toronto, uh, you know, maybe some in in Europe. Uh, the instructional videos, which which are also pretty cool, will will come out uh, this year, um, and that's how they're kind of uh, spreading the the agroforestry concepts and things out to all the communities who are using instructional videos. So uh, to learn more about the project, uh, there's, there isn't really much online right now, but eventually you'll be able to see it on Community Forest International's website and on my website, which is videoband.ca. Awesome. Well, um, well we're gonna, we can do some takeaways from this, Craig, and um, 
Uh, uh, Greg, thank you so much for introducing Craig to myself and the audience. Thanks so much, Craig, for your time, man. And uh, hey, hope to see you Friday night, maybe. Craig's going to come uh, and see our uh, band play, maybe. Uh. Yeah, I, I actually got, I have meetings in uh, Halifax. When's the next time you can see Fox Farm? Come on, man. I know, it's, it's <laughs> terrible. Sorry, sorry, man. I think I'm going to be in Halifax. If I make it home in time, we'll, we'll try to make the trek down. <laughs> well, listen, good luck with those meetings in Halifax. Uh, I, I know you're going to knock them dead. And uh, we'll, we'll chat with you soon, brother. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, Welcome thanks, home. Greg. Yeah. Very nice meeting you. Yeah, nice to meet you guys, too. So what a cool story. And I had no idea it's two weeks back, man. That's, that's well, it's incredible. funny because we, um, our current Millennial Dream Project, um, we started shooting in Boston before Christmas, and he was with us uh, filming uh, oh, okay. on that. And okay. uh, we knew that he'd be an African and I'd be an Indian at the same time. So we're very much in line. Yeah, yeah. So listen, we're coming up on 30 minutes again. So quick takeaway for you, Dave. Uh, the power of listening to the community you're in and helping and, and just listening and letting them find their own way. And mine's very similar, which is that whole uh, um, don't, don't only uh, realize that giving a fish is not the way to go, uh, that teaching a man to fish is only part way there. I think that was a really great analogy. Yeah. <laughs> that was really eloquent how I brought that out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is great. See you next week. Amen. High five. Thanks for checking out this episode of Boiling Point. Remember to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Boiling Point Pod. To see more from Dave Vale, check out leadershipunleashed.ca or visioncoachinginc.com and on Twitter at Dave underscore Vale. And to catch up with Greg, visit hemmingshouse.com and at Greg Hemmings on Twitter. Thanks for listening and remember, keep that pot boiling. Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster. And not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100%. Because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. <laughs>